The sermon text is Mark 12, uh, verses 38 through 44, and you can find it on page 495 in the paper Bible. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more money than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. You all, it's a privilege to be with you. My name is Bradley Barnes, and I'm one of your pastors, believe it or not. I am a pastor out at, for CTK in Newton, Mass. And uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Logan and Melissa before they were Logan and Melissa. And now I know them as Lo- Logan and Melissa. Uh, I've been at CTK for 17 years. Uh, I have three children, uh, one in college, one is a senior in high school, and one who's a freshman in high school. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. Uh, And before you, none of that matters. None of it matters at all. The anchor of our time together is not the preacher. It never has been and it never will be. But the anchor of our time together is the Word of God. It is what was printed here and it's what you have the opportunity to hold here. And in one place, this is what the Word says about itself that all Scripture is God-breathed, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want to encourage you as we look at this passage to go ahead and grab this Bible that's sitting next to you. The page is 495, and I want to ask you to turn to it because I think that this passage in particular is often taken out of context. And my hope for us this morning is that we'll put it back in context, and as we do, uh, we'll hear uh, the weight of this passage. My hope is that this passage and these words pierce our hearts. And I want you to know um, they need to pierce my heart, and I'm kind of afraid of the message that I'm about to give to you. Uh, So you need to pray for me, all right? You need to pray for me, because if we hear God's word here, I really do believe that we will be changed. Well, I was tempted to title this sermon, How to Choose a Church, and then I figured that would, might be bad for, for Logan and for you guys going, no, 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 don't, don't talk like that. I mean, this is our church. We're not going anywhere. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to title it, How to Choose a Church. The title that's in there is Logan's title, because up until very recently, he was going to preach. And I, I'm not Logan Keck. Logan Keck's right here if you're visiting. Meet him afterwards. He's the minister here. Praise God. Um, but if I were to title this... I was tempted to title it that, but you might also go, no, this passage, Bradley, I've heard this passage a hundred times. It's, it's, it's totally about giving. It's about how you ought to give and how you ought to give sacrificially, right? Because you have this widow in the central piece of this passage. Um, but you know something, if, if I wanted to title it, I think the smarter way to title it is don't be like the scribes. 
And then I started to think about that and I started to think in, that in the center of this, Jesus says, beware. He, he actually says, beware when He takes notice of the scribe. Do you, do you see that language right there? Jesus says it in verse 38. He says, beware of the scribes. And so it, it struck me that I can't title it don't be like the scribes because I want you to see that you and I, we are like the scribes. We're like the scribes. And so I just simply want to title this Beware. Beware. I want us to see why Jesus says we ought to beware the scribes. I want us to see how our propensity, our it is like us to be like the scribes as human beings. But I want to show you something. I want to show you at the end of this that Jesus is not like the scribes. Jesus is different. And I want us to see that together, okay? Now listen, you've got to turn to this in the Bibles to get this or you're not going to believe me. You've got to remember the context of this passage. This passage isn't just this type of thing that you, you come to and you see this widow who has given her all and suddenly you think that the preaching ought to be you ought to give sacrificially. That's not what's going on. Jesus is about to leave the temple. And in fact, if you could look in chapter 13, those next two verses in chapter 13, the, the disciples actually look to Jesus and they go, man, isn't this place marvelous? It's absolutely gorgeous. My wife was asking me where you all met. And if you had moved from the brewery to another location, I was like, yeah, it's a gorgeous place. It's this great hall. It's fantastic. There's room to grow. It's an exciting space to be. It is alive. The apostles said that, the disciples said that of the temple, and Jesus says, I want you to take note that this temple is going to be destroyed and everything that it stands for, not one stone is going to stand on top of another. It's the end of Jesus' judgment of the temple and all things located in the temple. It actually starts back in chapter 11 when Jesus comes into the temple and you remember the scene, right? I'm sure you guys had it preached where there are people selling and making a big market in the temple and Jesus comes and he clears everybody out and he said, that's not what this temple is for. This temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations and you, you all, the leaders of the temple, you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it a den of robbers. Now, you've got to understand that when he did that, he brought up a phrase that has such Old Testament connotation to the leaders who were listening to it that they would have immediately known what, they were, what Jesus was saying. If I said to you that you all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you would go, I, I know that phrase. I know where that is. That is in our Constitution. I know that. And in the same sense, when Jesus said that you have made this a den of robbers, those scholars, those people who were in charge of the temple would have known immediately to go to the Old Testament and to go to Jeremiah 7 where Jeremiah the prophet denounces the temple and denounces the leadership of God's people because they have oppressed the sojourner, the foreigner among them. They have taken advantage of the fatherless and they have crushed and devoured the widow. And what I want you to see is that starting in the middle of chapter 11 till the end, this story that we've got, Jesus is pronouncing judgment. This isn't about the widow. We'll talk about her in a minute. I can't tell you if the widow gave faithfully or didn't give faithfully. 
You have often heard that the widow here is praised. And I want you to know, this widow more than likely ought to be praised. I do not know. And if you pay attention, Jesus doesn't say. All Jesus does is he says, recognize who has given the most here. And then he actually says something that is pretty, that is pretty condemning. Not to the widow, but to those who are in charge of the temple. It says that she is not just given out of her abundance like everybody else, but she has given out of her poverty. She's given everything she has to live on. And when he says that, you ought to go, that's not right. And in fact, if you're, part of, if you're not part of the church, if you're visiting today and you go, you know, that's part of the problem I have with the church is the church requires even of those who are the most needy Everything that they have, that doesn't seem right to me. I want you to know that that sense that you have is right and it's good. And I want you to see that Jesus is saying, beware the scribes. Look at it with me, if you will. Jesus starts in verse 40, or 28 and he says this in his teaching, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor. And now listen, verse 40, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus is condemning, finally judging the scribes. The scribes are the leadership of God's people. Most of the priests were scribes. Most of the Pharisees were scribes. Scribes were those who were learned and studied and studied the law. And they all had disciples. And they, they were the ones who walked around and people said, if you were really serious about your faith, you'd listen to them. We don't really have scribes in the church today as, as much as in a similar picture here. We have pastors, leadership of the church, elders and deacons. And, and you can imagine that that's who Jesus is talking about here. And he's saying, beware of them. And what is he saying beware about? He talks about long robes and greetings, best seats and places of honor. And if we began to think about these things, we began to think about our own propensity. The propensity is myself, a leader in the church, right? To use religion as a way to elevate myself, to differentiate myself from you. Whether it's the language that I use or, or, or grasping at an educational concept that you go, I don't know what he means. Who's he talking to? He can't be talking to me. But in some way, always having this desire to be honored by you. The scribes wanted, they desired, and they used their position as leaders of God's people so that people would ultimately worship them. That's what's going on here. Scribes being elevated to a place of awe. Scribes wanting the best place in the seats of honor at all the banquets so that everybody could go, man, I wish I were a scribe. Scribes are the best. The scribes, it talks about devouring the houses of the women because you want to know what the scribes weren't allowed to do? They weren't allowed to be paid for their jobs. Scribes had to be experts in the law and the law itself said you could not receive money from being an expert in the law. So you want to know how the scribes made money? They made money by having people who supported them, who gave them donations. And here, they're saying that even these scribes took advantage 
of the elderly, the widows, those who were in most need, the vulnerable. And they took their money. They devoured their houses. And then finally, the the condemnation that is leveled is the pretense that these scribes had. It says this, who devour widows' houses in verse 40, and for a pretense make long prayers. My son told me the other day, he goes, Dad, you set a new record. I was like, what's the record, son? He's 17. you got to understand this. He goes, he goes, Dad, you prayed so long that even the other preacher at the church looked up and looked around and thought, is anybody else asleep? <laughs> and I thought, oh, have mercy. I have to confess to you, I really do like to pray. I love to pray. But you know the difference between someone who's praying and someone who's praying with pretense. Someone who is praying so that you will hear their words, so that you will walk away and go, I'm impressed with him. I'm impressed with her. I am impressed. And your eyes are coming off of God and onto another human being. You see, Jesus says, beware of the scribes. And the reason he says beware of the scribes because if we accept that the scribes are acting in a way that bring God glory, then what do we do who follow the scribes? We become like them. Because the real temptation here, the reason that Jesus says beware of the scribes is because it is our own propensity to be like the scribes. To seek among each other differentiation in some degree so that I am on top and you are underneath me. Now look, I don't care if it's just one rung underneath me, but I just have to be one rung above you. I have to be in that position of honor, in that position of respect, in that position of authority. And Jesus is saying the most damnable thing that's happening at this temple, the reason why those scribes are going to receive the greater condemnation is because they are using the law of God the very place where the presence of God rests the temple to exalt themselves over someone else. Jesus says here, beware. And look, he wouldn't say beware if this wasn't something that you and I were tempted to do, right? He would say, man, look at those scribes, they're crazy. But he wouldn't look at you and say, beware. The reason he says beware is because we are tempted in the same way. We're bent in the same way. One old theologian used to say that we are like this mirror that is bent on ourselves. And everything that we do points back to us. And we just wonder, how am I looking? How am I doing in front of you, in your eyes, before you? Am I exalted? Right? And then Jesus makes this point with this widow, doesn't he? In verse 41, he says this, and he sat down opposite the treasury. This is inside the temple, okay? Now let me help you, the outside of the temple, this first court that you would walk into is the court of the women, and it's where everyone was allowed to come into the temple, okay, and you had a treasury because you had to exchange your Roman money for for non-Roman money so you could actually pay the tax in the temple, thus the treasury, and then opposite the treasury was an offering box, okay, and it's where you came and you gave your tithes and your offerings, All right. And so Jesus is sitting there and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Verse 42. Here it is. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Children, if you're paying attention, you go, there is no such thing as a penny in the temple in Israel. And I want you to know you're right. 
Get your mom and dad to show you the note afterwards and go down and read. And it'll explain that words in another language has been translated so that you might understand how little amount of money she put in the box. Two copper coins, so little that they were only of value to what you think of as a penny. That's what she put in the box. She put those coins in the box, which makes a penny. And verse 43 says, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Remember, you got to jump up one verse. It said that there were a lot of rich people who came and put a lot of money in the offering box. But the reason that Jesus needed to point out this widow is because of our propensity to be like the scribes, to be impressed with wealth, to be impressed with success, to be impressed with those aspects of religion that say, if I were holy, if I were pious enough, if I were righteous enough, I would be successful. I wouldn't struggle. My life would not be suffering. Jesus had to draw attention to the widow because the disciples didn't even see her. Hey, look, I, you know, we're not always cracking on the disciples, but this is an easy one to crack on the disciples on right here. Because even after this, what do they say about the temple? They get up from watching this whole scene unfold and they go, man, aren't these buildings great? Aren't this, aren't, isn't it majestic? It's just incredible. And it's almost as if Jesus says, you still haven't gotten it. I'm walking out of the temple. I'm judging this place. And I'm telling you, not one stone is going to stand here without being turned upside down. You see, the disciples don't see it. And Jesus points it out because no one saw it. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus is saying it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be the case that the widow's home is being devoured so that the leaders of my people might be exalted among each other. And might be glorified and might even seek their own worship of themselves. He's saying it shouldn't be this way. If you studied widows in the Old Testament, you would see that the laws of God are always to protect the sojourner. That's a complicated word for foreigner children. The fatherless, those who don't have parents, and the widow. Those who are at risk the most in the society. We could say and understand these three categories as those who are the most vulnerable among us. Vulnerable because of the way a society is constructed. Because of a way that sin has infected a society so that human beings are clawing our way to the top and seeking to be noticed by one another seeking to rob the glory of God from him and identify it on ourselves. And Jesus is saying it should not be this way. Do you want to know that what should have happened with this widow when she came into the temple? Do you want to know what should have happened according to God's law in Deuteronomy? People should have gone to her and said, I have come to offer some food as my offering to the temple. Here, I want you to take some. Because the widow had the right to take some of the food that was being offered as a sacrifice. Did you know that? Did you know that the widow had the right to receive other people's tithes? 
Did you know that the leaders of the temple should have come out to the widow and said, ma'am, we recognize that you do not have what you need to live. And so we are going to give you what you need. We are going to see your need. But the problem is, is that the temple of God had become a place where humanity is exalted and where the glory of God is robbed from him. And when that happens... When we are so focused on ourselves, it is impossible for us not to devour the widow's home. Not to devour those who are most vulnerable around us. And do you want to know why? It's not because I want to look at you and say, you and I meant to step on them. But it's sort of like the signs with the cell phones. Except instead of a cell phone in front of my face... It is my own image, my own glory, my own focus. And Jesus is saying here, it was never intended to be that way. I'm scared to preach this passage. I'm scared to preach this passage because it is so deeply rooted in who I am. It is condemning. I am a leader of the church. I'm a minister. I'm an ordained minister. I I am the equivalent as close as we can get to the scribes. And this is my propensity. And you go, well, maybe maybe Bradley was right. Maybe I do need to look for a new church. Because if Logan is anything like Bradley, I'm out of here. I don't want that kind of guy looking over my soul and encouraging me. But that's the last point that I want to give you. Is that the glory of this passage is that Jesus is not like the scribes. Jesus is not like the scribes. Jesus said, beware the scribes. He said, beware the scribes because he said, it's your propensity to be like the scribes. But Jesus points out that he's not like the scribes. Now, you got to understand Jesus to get this, right? Jesus was misunderstood. People thought he was a scribe. Did you know that? They thought he was a scribe. He, He didn't have a home. He had Mary and Martha who supported his ministry, these two women, and and, and others who supported his ministry. He had disciples like the scribes. He went around and taught so much so that people said, where's your authority come from? You're only 33. You can't become a scribe until you're 40 years old. Where's your authority come from? You you aren't, aren't ordained a scribe. Jesus was actually called on numerous occasions rabbi, teacher. These were all things that led you to understand that people mistook Jesus for a scribe. But what we need to see is that Jesus is not like the scribes. And the way that you know he is not like the scribes is because he judges the scribes according to the law of the Old Testament. He says, my house was supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers where the fatherless and the foreigner and the widow is consumed that you might be exalted. I want you to know that when we understand that Jesus is not like the scribes, the first thing that ought to do it, it ought to scare us. It ought to scare us just a little bit. It ought to scare us because you've got to understand Jesus isn't in this for himself. Though he was deserved to be counted as equal with God, Paul writes in the Philippians. 
He humbled himself and he gave up that glory. He became a human being. And a human being, unlike you and me, whose eyes are not focused on ourselves. But what I want you to know is he sees you. He sees us. He sees the most vulnerable among us. We sang already, Christ have mercy on me because I speak many words, but my actions are few. And then we read in the Old Testament passage that God sees not the appearance and what is outward, but he sees the heart, what is inward. He knows us. And I want you to know that because Jesus is not like the scribes, this is a shot across the bow for us. <laughs> you know what that means, right? A shot across the bow is a warning. It's a warning to say, where is your attention? If you are in this for your own glory, if you are in this faith so that your life might be more successful, if you are in this because you want to be exalted among human beings, this is a shot across our bow. And I feel like my heart is ripped open before you and laid out. And Jesus says, I see you. I know what you're like. But I want you to know that this ought to finally encourage you. It ought to encourage you because Jesus is saying, I want you to know who God made himself known in the Old Testament is exactly who he is in the New Testament. He hasn't changed. He is as concerned about the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow as he has ever been. And he has come for the vulnerable. And for the needy. And for the broken. And for the one for whom this life doesn't work. And I want you to know. That is you. And that is me. In Deuteronomy. When the Lord says. You ought to care for the foreigner. The sojourner among you. You ought to care for the fatherless. And the widow. Do you want to know what he says? Because one time you were once a slave in Egypt. And I came and I visited you. Now that doesn't mean that the Lord came and knocked on the door of Egypt and said, Hello, I'm here in Egypt. Let me in. I want to come and drink coffee with you. That's not what it means. When the Lord comes and visits someone, the Lord comes and rescues them and delivers them and sets us free. Because you see, our need is not that we're trapped in Boston like they are trapped in Egypt. You might say, you got a southern accent. You just want to be somewhere else. Well, 17 years ago, I thought maybe you're right. But you know something? My life, is, my life is gone. Those 17 years are gone. They're not getting back. This is home. I'm sorry I don't have your accent. You're right. This is home. But you see, you've got to understand that the Lord wasn't talking about Egypt. He was saying, you were a slave to sin and I've come to set you free. The slave to seeking your own glory. A slave like Adam and Eve who said we don't have to believe who God has said he is. In fact, I'm going to be in this for myself. And Jesus says, though you are like that, I want you to know I'm not like the scribes who are going to come and devour you. But I want to come, and I'm coming to set you free. You see, the Lord demonstrates God's generosity. Jesus demonstrates 
his heart for us. Jesus paid attention to the widow. The one who in that system was forced to give everything she had, even what she needed to live on. That was never a requirement in the Old Testament, you guys. It's not there. In fact, the temple was required to care for that widow. And that's where the failure was. But you see this focus of Jesus on the widow, on the needy, on the vulnerable, on the lost one, is the gospel focus of Jesus on you and me. We are the ones who are enslaved. We are the ones because of our sin who are committed to ourselves. We have the same propensity as the scribes. And I want to be humble, but I want to be honest with you. I really do believe that if you were a minister in God's church, you would have the same propensity that I have. I don't see you as any different than me. But Jesus was totally different. I want you to know that in the gospel, Jesus dies for our sins. It's not just the last penny that Jesus pays. It's all of his blood that he pays for you and me. Though our sins would be as scarlet, demanding blood. Did you wake up this morning and see the sun in that which was as white as snow? Did you see it? Going from scarlet that demanded blood to something that was as white as snow. The brilliance of the sunlight in it. Jesus is denouncing the temple here. But he's saying beware. Because he knows that that propensity is the same in you and in me. What is the seminal story of the widow in the Bible? Do you know it? Do you know the story that you just go, man, if, if that pastor knew what he was talking about, he'd preach out of this passage if he's talking about the widow. I think you got to turn to the story of Ruth. You remember this story? Her mother-in-law was named Naomi. She had a sister named Orpha. And Ruth and Orpha followed Naomi and her husband, or excuse me, uh, Naomi and her husband and their two sons went over to Moab. And in Moab, they were looking for food and instead they found daughters-in-law. Do you remember this? And, 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 and Ruth and Orpha married Naomi's two sons. And within a short period of time, it says within 10 years, Naomi's husband was dead and her two sons were dead. So Naomi is a widow, Orpha is a widow, and Ruth is a widow. And Naomi says to Orpha, leave me. Go back to your house, to your mother's house, and let them care for you. You still are young enough. You can have another life. She goes, no, I don't want to leave. And she goes, no, I'm telling you, leave. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going to leave you. Wherever you go, I go. Your people are my people now, and your God is my God now. And Ruth follows Naomi, two widows, returning to a town. You want to know where they returned? Do you remember this story? Go back and read Ruth this week. They returned to Bethlehem. Did you know that? They returned to Bethlehem because that's where Naomi was from. And there they began to wonder, will anyone help us? And Naomi said, I want you to go and I want you to glean wheat in this field of a man named Boaz. Because the Old Testament says that when you clear your field, when you collect what is rightfully yours, leave a portion of it. Leave it. Guess who they left it for? The foreigner. 
the fatherless and the widow. And she says, go and glean in that field. And then Boaz makes himself known as the one who would come and redeem Naomi and Ruth. The one who would save them. Because Boaz was of their same family. And he had the right to redeem them. And as the story unfolds in an amazing way, Boaz becomes for Naomi and Ruth the kingsman redeemer. He is the one who redeems them from their state of vulnerability. Do you want to know what's amazing? Ruth is accounted in the genealogy of King David. She is King David's great-grandmother. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? And who came from King David? But our kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ. That God-man who redeemed us because he is not like the scribes. He's not like us. But to him is given all of the glory. He is the one who has the right to judge the temple because in his judgment he will also die for it as he has died for you and me that our hearts might again be for the most vulnerable among us. And that's the power of this passage. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you bring it to life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would sink this message deep into our hearts and that you would set us free from our propensity for self-glory, for self for building ourselves up in front of each other and for trying to get other people to worship us. Lord Jesus, we long to see women and men worship you. Please make your church a place that is different, who sees the needs of the most vulnerable among us and seeks to meet those needs so that your glory would be made known. Feed us now as we come to your table. Feed our faith. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.